Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk on Tuesday. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We're going to talk football because we talked with Ryan uh, Ryan Day on Monday morning as the Buckeyes continue with spring football practice. We're going to talk basketball because the Big Ten in the NCAA tournament, not so good. Not so good. We'll talk a little bit about EJ Liddell. People want us to talk about it. I have some thoughts on that. I'm sure we all have some thoughts on that. And then at the end, a little uh, gas station snack bracket update. We'll run through some of the results. But we do want to start with football. Spring practice is underway, Nathan Baird. And we did talk to Ryan Day on Monday. Steven, you've been uh, busy with basketball, but you've been on all the football calls. So you're getting back in the football flow here a little bit. Nathan, we've kind of just been on the football when we're kind of playing off some of the football conversations, just sort of like saying, okay, well, what should we be talking about? So... What should we be talking about with football? What do you want to start off with here based on what Ryan Day said during our, what, half an hour or so conversation on Monday morning? Probably the two most interesting things that I heard as far as getting some more information about the structure of the team is either talking about the cornerbacks or talking about the linebackers. So I'll whittle it down to that. You can pick which one you want to start with. And by linebackers, I really mean the bullet. So, Yeah, let's start with it. The word okay. came up. I thought we got a little... Get it out of the way. Uh, we got a little more of a clear definition of it and i think we did get a final explanation on which we knew but it was good to hear ryan day say it of why they haven't used it because it came with ryan day it was greg madison's word from the what they brought from michigan they changed the name from viper it's what everybody has it's a hybrid safety linebacker 2019 pete warner was it he was both the sam linebacker and the bullet but he did both at the same time and so they, he was both. 2020, as Ryan Day said on Monday, their linebackers were too good. And so Pete Warner was now on the weak side. Baron Browning was the Sam linebacker. And Baron Browning is not a safety hybrid, even though he played a little safety in high school. He's like a Sam. He's like a line. He's an outside linebacker. But they didn't want to take him off the field. And actually, they didn't. I don't even know who the bullet would have been. I mean, it probably would, might have been Court Williams, who would have been a true freshman, but, but got hurt. So it's like they didn't have a guy to do it, or they certainly didn't have a guy good enough to force them. Because And then the fourth linebacker they had, Justin Hilliard, is definitely not a bullet. So they had four linebackers for three spots they wanted to play. 
So, Nathan, we do understand why they haven't done it. But now he did outline that they want to do it, and it feels like they might have some dudes who can do it. Yeah, I mean, in, in some ways, it's almost like a version of the the tight end receiver conversation that we've had in the past. Like, you know, when every time you put another tight end on the field, you're taking off a receiver, how much sense does that make? So I guess I understand if you think that there's some guys with a more specialized skill set at linebacker, they are they good enough to really supplant someone as talented as Baron Browning? That makes sense to me. And I, I think it is now interesting to see, you know, the, the name that he dropped today, in addition to Court Williams, who, as we said before, is not participating in contact drills this spring, um, was Craig Young, somebody who else, another name that we had thrown out there anyway, as somebody that we thought would probably be involved as that Sam linebacker spot, at least. And now he talked about him playing outside as a safety. So that was interesting to me, like, or at least practicing at least some with the safety. So I, it begs the question that we brought up last week. And it, I think we should ask Al Washington later this week when we talk to the linebackers and him on, I guess it's Thursday is just how are they practicing with those guys and, and how are they developing the guys who they think will play bullet? Because I do think that is an interesting question. Um, are they really floating between two rooms or does somebody have ownership of them? And, and how is that working? I assume it's they're working under Washington, but they specifically mentioned safety as what Craig Young is getting to do some this spring. So I'm, I'm really curious about that. Yeah, Craig Young being brought up in that conversation was interesting because that, that's not his build is not maybe what we were thinking about when we thought of the bullet. You thought maybe six foot, six one, two ten, two fifteen pounds, which is exactly what Court Williams is, uh, which is exactly what Jalen Johnson, the 2021 uh, uh, signee is. Craig Young, he came in here at six foot three, 200 pounds. He's gained 23 pounds, according to the now updated 2021 roster. He's six foot three, 223 pounds. That doesn't necessarily scream bullet at me. So it's inter- that's, that's an interesting post- person to put in that type of position, someone of that size who clearly is built more like a linebacker at this point. But Warner was, Warner was in the 230s and could do safety yeah. things. So, I mean, you have to be able to cover, right? You have to be able to cover out there. But the, the issue is, and again, now we're back to the thing, but they want to do this. But when you say, oh, yeah, we have this position, it's like, well, who's going to play it? And like, it was always Court Williams. It's like, well, who else? Mm-hmm. It can't be like, well, we have a second-year guy who's never played a snap because he got hurt and he's coming off an ACL, and that's it. So the idea that Craig Young, who we knew was in the mix, they are saying in that way makes it more real. And it does. That's why I thought like the Craig Young was the name that made the bullet come to life, right? That without that, I don't know what they're talking about because otherwise then it's just Court Williams. But now you can see a world, Nathan, where, okay, if Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gantt are the main linebackers, right? And then let's say, because we were talking about, was it Kayvon Pope? Is it Craig Young? Maybe it's both. That like Kayvon Pope might be the leader, let's say, and it sort of sounded like it the way Ryan Day talked about it, to be the Sam linebacker. But Craig Young might be the leader to be the bullet, which just winds up with them sharing a job based on personnel and down and distance which allows you to use their skill sets in different ways. But it does for fans and for us, it clarifies how things will work. And it does allow them to work with guys on specific things 
that, okay, Kayvon Pope, maybe you're more of a first down, second down guy. Make sure you stop the run. Maybe you wind up covering a tight end or whatever. Craig Young, hey, let's make sure you can cover and be in space and maybe blitz a little bit of whatever, right? That, that, that There's some clarification on how it fits together, Nathan. Yeah, and I think all along I had kind of seen this as being a year where they talk about all this versatility the last couple of years, and we'd go into the spring and the preseason. They'd be like, oh, hey, any of those other guys could play. It might not just be the guys who've been starting, and then that never happens. It's always just the seniors who were starting. And before that, I guess the junior class was starting along with Malik Harrison. So it, this year, though, I, I can see more clearly how they would be more multiple with the which guys they use that it could be as you said those two guys at the inside spots and we tried to pin Ryan Day down even on that like those are the two inside guys right and he was very he was being very evasive as far as a lot of personnel things today which was frustrating no no but, no, no, no on on Mitchell and Gant I mean he said yeah yeah I, eventually I mean I yeah. guess but I mean he started off said yeah Mitchell and Gant are linebackers no oh, I said on. well because he was being a smart a smart out he was he was right. he definitely was just repeating your question <laughs> But, but yeah, I mean, you're right. He said, yeah, he, that the guys who've played are going to be at those yeah. spots. So, yeah, that those guys will, will be at the two inside spots. And but, I, yeah, I just see this could be a year where you have more like four or maybe a fifth guy somewhere in there that are in the mix. We don't exactly know what um, physical position Court Williams is going to be in as far as ready to play this fall. But I could see that, that they go that that deep and just mix guys up a little bit more than they have in the past. And I think that could be a positive. If you don't have guys that you feel are locked in as like every down guys, then use use every piece of the Buffalo and get the best out of a collection of guys. I mean, there is one of those things, like if you, some, some guys you think have the size, speed, instinct, quickness, coverage, ability, run stopping ability to do it all at that Sam linebacker spot that like, again, Pete Werner wound up covering a lot of tight ends when he was playing Sam linebacker. That, that is a responsibility of that. So you've got to be able to do that. But, you know, that's also like a, that's a, a responsibility out in space a lot of times too on earlier downs where you've got to be able to stop the run. And so it, it is one of those, I think I agree with you that I love when you just have, well, we just play a guy and he does it all, right? That's like, it's a baseball analogy, Nathan. It's like platoons. It's like, listen, man, if, if you're doing a bunch of platoons, you're just trying to, patch two guys together to be one decent guy because you don't have one guy who can do it so specialization i get it sub packages it's the way football is going and you have to have more than 11 defensive players to make this work but pete warner was every answer so they don't have a guy who's every answer but i do think i i also the coaches want to be vague we have to be specific here you say okay taraja mitchell and dallas gant until we get any other reason to suspect otherwise are going to be the starting Mike and Will linebackers. Right. I am now operating under the assumption that Kayvon Pope is the leader at strong side linebacker and Craig Young and Court Williams are the most likely bullets. And those are the five. I know he said Mitchell Melton and Tommy Eichenberg and Cody Simon. I know he said all their names. We have no reason to suspect that they are going to play meaningful snaps at the moment. So when you say four or five guys, I think those are the five guys. Right. Right. And Court Williams is doing nothing but individual drills this year, uh, this spring, I mean, and while he's coming back from ACL. So for spring, Mitchell Gant and then Young and Pope sort of sharing that. Do we generally agree with that? This is what I want Ryan Day to do with the whole roster or at least give us enough so that we can do this. And we didn't get it at every position. But like this is the point for our dear listeners as we're trying to describe it. is that Nathan a fair generalization of where we think we are at linebacker? 
Yes, yes. And when you were the one, I had tried to ask him kind of a more general question. You pinned him down on the linebackers, and that is essentially how he laid it out. I understand why they're throwing other names into the mix as they kind of always do, but I agree with your assessment that those are the five guys that I think are most likely to play a lot of linebacker snaps this fall. All right, so what do we know about corner then? Because Kerry Combs had sort of on, on Friday given us a peek at like Josh, Josh Proctor is the deep safety. Okay. How do we think the rest of the secondary might fit together because Marcus Williamson's name came up on Monday. And I thought the way Ryan Day explained him opened a little window on how we might be viewing things there. Yeah, I mean, I think the question is still, and they were trying to figure it out, right? The way he said it, that like, what is the relationship between slot corner and strong safety a little bit? Like, how, how are they looking at that position and, and, and what is that position and what athlete do they need at that position? So um, he mentioned Marcus Williamson, both in the context of saying he thought he had a strong offseason, but then also that it may not be the same role as he had last year and that you could have someone like Lathan Ransom, who was that, um, as they call it, the cover safety. Does that position evolve more into being what he is? And does he have a, maybe a bigger role than just being a third down guy as he was late last season? What did you Mar- take away from that, Stephen? I, I just think that Marcus Williams is going to be the second safety when they go to safeties on the field, and that Lathan Ransom is going to be the cover, the slot corner cover safeties, what strong, whatever they want to call it. He's going to have that role, and because you're taking a corner out of that room, him also mentioning Ledger, Legend Cavazos and, and Ryan Watts needing to step up was interesting because he just decided to name those two guys without anybody prompting him to do it. Well, but it's like someone said, okay, well, Cam Brown is like not practicing this spring. So who's on the outside? And so, yes, he mentioned those games without prompting. But, I mean, he mentioned Legend Cavazos, Ryan Watts, and Cam Martinez without prompting. But he's just reading the depth chart. I mean, it's yeah, like, who else would he, who, who else, else could you mention? Well, to be fair, for the sake of saying it, he did not say Tyreek Johnson's name. At he all. did That's not say true. Tyreek Johnson. So he could have went there first, the guy who's a senior. But That's a morsel. That's yeah. a morsel. Not not an uh, it's an expected morsel given yeah. how things went it last is. year, but, but valid point. Yes. I agree with that that what Steven said cuz we saw Marcus Williamson become sort of that second deep safety when they used him in the postseason. And I think this is just the reality, right? So here uh, it's just real talk and uh, when Kerry Combs says they need to play better press man and need to have more confidence in that with the corners, right? He's not going to say players' names, but it's players who are doing it. So, okay, well, who was, who were the corners last year? Well, they were Sean Wade, Seven Banks, and Marcus Williamson. And Sean Wade's gone. And Seven Banks and Marcus Williamson are here. And they say they need to be better at man coverage. So, well, you can do two things when you want to get better at something. You can have the people who did it before improve or you can change the people. So I think part of the discussion of we need to play better man coverage at corner is Marcus Williamson. I I just I'm I'm not trying to single guys out, but we have to be able to say names. I mean, the guy played a ton of snaps and he's back. It feels like to me this was a little indication of like, listen, Marcus Williamson's had a a role. He had a great offseason. Credit to Marcus Williamson. I'm sure he will improve. Everybody. Most guys improve. But maybe his role is more 
second deep safety with Proctor when they go to that look and less man coverage in the slot as a slot corner. That's what I absorbed. Steven, you, that's what you're sort of saying. Ryan Day didn't say it that directly, but I feel like that's kind of where we are. The way he talked about Lathan Ransom and then the way he talked about Marcus Williamson and you try to add it up. Yeah. Marcus, he's a package when you need to go with a certain look on defense. While for all intents and purposes, Lathan Ransom is the every snap guy out there because he showed some things that he can cover. And Marcus Williamson didn't do that for most of the season. And I'm not sure. I don't think it's quite as simple as that, Nathan, but I think that's where we're what we're in the, the idea of here. I think it's yeah, I think it's probably something that's a work in progress. He admitted as much as that. I think Marcus Williamson would still be probably involved in the depth chart at that slot corner, too. Um, but I, I I think there's a very real possibility that we get to the first day of the season and Lathan Ransom, I guess somebody else, but Lathan Ransom is the one they're talking about right now is the one who takes that first snap. Yeah, it's like we know we understand the sub packages. We understand third and eight, right? First and ten for a team that lines up three receivers. What does the coverage in the slot look like? Now, the other thing that you can do, especially when you work in the bullet, or if you have a Sam linebacker that you believe in, is you don't have to man up with a guy, a slot corner or a, or a strong safety standing one in, you know, nose to nose with that slot receiver, which is what they did in the playoff a little bit that, Maybe Marcus Williamson has some responsibility on that slot guy, but it's more of like a matchup zone or some kind of cover two look or something where, okay, well, we don't have a guy right over him, but this, you know, the either the strong side linebacker or the bullet's going to help out. The second deep safety is going to help out, but we're not going to just stand a slot corner on top of a slot receiver and man up, right? That they want to be able to do that more, but that's not the only thing. So I just, I do think they want to – if you do that, you have got to have a guy that you believe in 100%, right? All the stuff, those two-way routes, the agility of those slot receivers to make quick breaks, and if they get a step on you and catch a ball in stride, they can turn a seven-yard slant and do a 50-yard play, right? That's You've really got to believe in that. So I just, I just think we'll see Marcus Williamson – in that situation, less than we did last year, Nathan. Is that a fair? That's a fair way of looking at it, right? I think so. And probably the other name to throw in there, it, we talked about Cam Brown is not doing contact drill screen, but he was in that nickel spot to open the season last year. Maybe he could also be factoring in here. It just depends on who they decide they want to line up outside and who they feel like is a better fit inside. But I don't, as much as, you know, um, as much as we had sort of discussed the possibility of like, hey, they could come back with basically the same secondary. Right. Proctor at deep safety banks and Brown on the outside. We know Sean Wade is gone, but Brown was in the mix. He got hurt. So banks and Brown on the outside Williamson at slot corner. And those are your four main guys. And then you have sub packages. I I don't think it's going to be that. I mean, I, I always, I always thought that last year, all due respect to Marcus Williamson, but go back to the end of 2019. He was, he didn't have a role on this team. He was not a depth chart guy on this team. And they got to the start of the 2020 season. All of a sudden he's starting for you at an important position. And I think they got caught a little bit in between of a, a veteran guy who could, who could give you capable time, but the talent was behind him and it wasn't developed enough. You know, Ryan day brought up, I thought a good point today was Wednesday when they go to full pads, that's the first time 
all of this year's early enrollees are going to be have a spring practice and pads and all of last year's freshmen are going to have a spring and pads because they didn't get to have it last year. And like the normal development was so thrown off. And I think it maybe it just cost them developing one defensive back. But you saw the repercussions of that. You saw kind of the domino effect of that last season. And you saw them trying to convince themselves of Marcus Williamson being the best guy for the slot, but also because he's a littler guy. And you see little guys in the slot a lot, 5'10", receivers, 5'9", quick guys. And Marcus Williamson just kind of fit that. Lathan Lorenzo's not that. He's a bigger – he's more like the Sean Wade type of slot corner where he's, he's what, 6'1", 200 pounds. So he's the size of an outside corner playing in that, in that spot. Who also and as that will season, now have, Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I thought you were done. Uh, as that season developed – maybe they would have decided that somebody else had had improved so that Cam Brown could play more of that slot. And then that wasn't an option because he got hurt. So there was just a lot of things on the, that were not on the table when they needed to maybe make some adjustments last year. That's an important point to make that the other obvious maybe option was Cam Brown and he got taken away in the second game. And then if you weren't going to do, then what were you going to go to? You were going to go to like a really young guy, like they wound up doing with Lathan Ransom in the playoff for like 15 snaps when they moved some stuff around, but they just did not do that in the middle of a weird year. I thought we learned some, I thought we'd learned a little bit, right? That was a little bit helpful. And we definitely also learned about something on the offensive side of the ball, which we kind of maybe weren't exactly expecting. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Bears, Stephen Means back. We'll get to a little basketball, a little snack stuff in a little bit. Harry Miller, Nathan, not fully participating, which we weren't exactly, didn't exactly know for sure before Monday. Yeah, he's he's participating, but in not in contact drills. And and Ryan Day said that that will probably last all spring. So these fifteen practices and into the spring game, they don't expect him to be doing contact stuff. Which, um, you know, the fact that he's a returning starter, um, normally you wouldn't say that. Maybe that's a, a, any kind of a factor. Maybe it won't be because it's the spring. But the, he is someone that you're thinking is doing a position reswitch. He's going back to the position he'd played before if he's going to be the guy at center. So that is where there maybe are some um, repercussions is just that he's not getting those, the, the full spring experience that you would want as you're trying to make that adjustment again. Harry Miller has not had a spring yet. He's been here for three years, that's, but also that's because like, yeah. he didn't show, I mean, he wasn't an early enrollee. He decided to go do Harry Miller stuff, uh, but also there's learn, gonna be- have a normal high school experience. Yeah, well, he stayed because he wanted to be valedictorian. That's what his mom told that's- me. That's, <laughs> So Harry Miller stuff. Let us not brush off the pursuit of academic excellence. I'm not. I'm just saying it fits as Harry Miller stuff. It fits the personality that is Harry Miller that he decided to stay behind because he wanted to be his class valedictorian. That's why I called it Harry Miller stuff. It's it's not an indictment. It's actually it's showing no, off more of his no, personality. No. I, but Harry Miller, I mean, like Harry Miller stuff sounds like maybe he like wanted to go on a hike or something that's like fair he wanted that's to fair. he wanted to like uh i don't know he he went on a he went on a, a journey to yeah that's fair we're, we're yeah. talking about harry harry miller stuff could literally be anything under the sun so he that's fair. wanted to be valedictorian that's fair that is a wonderful it is. pursuit i i do i mean like we're, you know, i mean it's so normal now it's so normal of like ah you give up oh, half sorry. your senior year of high yeah. school and you just go to college early it's more than half the guys do it now. I mean, I was talking to Dante Whitner, who did it in uh, 2002, 2003, I think. And I think he was like the second guy to do it then. 
And it was like, he was talking about like, it was nuts. Like he didn't like, you know, it was so hard. And now it's just like, Steven, it's so like, you almost are, I should, you shouldn't feel this way. And I hope the coaches don't make the guys feel this way in case, you know, you just want to go to high school like a normal person, but it almost does feel like you're behind. It's like, and then to your point of Harry doesn't do it. Pandemic wipes it out. Now he's got an injury thing. And now all of a sudden it's like you're three years in. And like you're saying, if the two things are weird, but it's like, do you think people think of it that way that you're behind if you don't come early a, a little bit? I think it'll be an interesting thing to, to talk to recruits about because like you, there's 20, 20, what, what, 22, 21 guys in a class and all but six of them are already on campus. Um, and the ones who aren't, some of them go to schools where you, it's just not virtually possible for them to do it. Hence why the Paris Johnson was in that situation, which is why he transferred from St. X to, uh, Princeton his, his for his senior year, so he could be able to do that. So, yeah, there's pressure right there. Okay, I'm going to transfer to go to a school for four months just so right. I can not go to that school anymore. Uh, so it's an interesting – it's one of the first things I ask recruits when they commit places is, are you planning on early enrolling? It's the fundamental part of a, a, a commitment interview with somebody. Um, but to the point I was making with Harry, you're also – it's a new quarterback, you know, and you need – if he's the incumbent starting center – even if it's rotating with all three of those guys, you need as many reps with these quarterbacks as possible. Because, I mean, we saw the Michigan State game when he just got thrown in there, and that's with a Heisman Trophy-level quarterback, and it still was ugly. So the, these 15 practices would have been valuable, even if we weren't sure who the starter was. And he can still get all the non-contact reps with those guys, but yeah. when you start going into contact, that's a lot of reps he's not getting. I think we were all operating under the assumption of like Harry Miller at center, Paris Johnson, Matthew Jones at guard and like Luke Whipler and Dewan Jones lurking. Yeah. Is that, is that a fair assessment? And Nathan, is there anything again, Ryan day wasn't Ryan day dropped the Harry Miller morsel, which was helpful. I, I don't know. Did he say anything else about interior offensive line? And we know that Thayer Munford said something the other day that maybe Matthew Jones is just has something that, that is, affecting um, him in some way right now, not physical. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but anyway, are we, where are we, we think with interior offensive line? Well, he did mention Matthew Jones's versatility too. I mean, and some other, I think some texters had, had asked us about this, um, that he was a guy who I think was, was a center in high school or has some background as a center. Top 100 center coming out of high school. Right. And so that he's somebody who has that same versatility if they needed to use him in that position too. And and we maybe that was something that should have been more on our speculation radar. Like maybe they decide that Harry Miller needs to just stay a guard and Matthew Jones would be the pick there. I don't know. I think Enoch Mnahi is someone else I would, I would throw in there as, hmm. as being a, in that backup mix. He is still listed as a guard, by the way, on the roster that they put out today. He was not listed as a defensive lineman where he got some reps against uh, or warmed up against Alabama. I guess got some reps at the very end of the game just for depth purposes. But um, I, I think, you know, as we talked about before, when you look two rungs deep on that depth chart at, at at offensive line, it's pretty solid. I mean, I don't, there aren't very many places on this roster that are as deep on the, or solid on the two deep as the offensive line is right now. No, I think that's true. Yeah. They've got, uh, you're like Luke Whipler's just hanging around back there as like a second year guy. We're like, kind of not we, the world. I mean, it's like Paris Johnson special. So it's like Paris Johnson's a second year guy. It's like, yeah, that guy's probably going to start. And it's like, well, Luke Whipler's like a top 50 national recruit who can play anywhere on the interior. And like, I don't know, would be, it would be not, would be not unusual for a second year guy at a place like Ohio state to be competing to start on the offensive line. 
And Donovan Jackson's not even here yet. He won't get here till the fall. And that's another yeah. guy that you would think, or certainly if you're here this spring, I think you'd be more of the conversation of, is this guy, could he even, could he start right away as a freshman? Like he's that talented. So I don't know if that'll be able to happen with just a summer and preseason, but uh, somebody else that we certainly can't not mention because of just his talent level. He is definitely would have had, we had an opportunity to go around the tables on signing day and talk to people. He would have been the Paris Johnson story of the 2021 class of can a true freshman offensive lineman win a job as a true, as a true freshman. Yeah. He's that good. Yep. They're pretty, they're, they're pretty set up there. Um, defensive line. It felt like Ryan day sort of like brushed past that, but wasn't asked specifically, but it's sort of like, I think like it was like, a, it's the guys you think, yeah. which would be okay. Well, Haskell Garrett's returning starter. And then it's like Antoine Jackson and Teron Vincent. And then some other dudes at, think- on defensive tackle. And we know the deal at end. And Zach Harrison had kind of given us some intel there the other day that Antoine Jackson was kind of leading that. And then you mentioned Teron Vincent as someone who's getting some nose reps. So it'll be interesting to see if that plays forward, because I think that's potentially really intriguing. If he is he a guy who could start there or even a guy who could just plausibly play nose a lot, it just giving you where you can then take like your top two or three guys and get them a lot of reps at, at both of those spots. Garrett would still stay at three tech, but maybe Vincent could be more involved at nose. Yeah, Who's- just- Go ahead. It just seems defensive line is like the one spot where you're not really worried about the starter. You're kind of worried about what the depth is behind it. Who's the fourth tackle, regardless of position? If it's Haskell Garrett, Antoine Jackson, and Teron Vincent. So I do think, I mean, Cage has been around, but I do think, I I know like in in the national championship year in 2014, it was like Adolphus Washington and Michael Bennett were the tackles, and they were kind of, I gotta get it right in my head. They were doing one thing, and then at one point in the year, they switched them. And I think, I think Washington was at three tech and Bennett was on the nose and they switched them. And then Adolphus Washington just started like a tarantula, like taking up blockers and Michael Bennett, Michael Bennett started penetrating and making plays. And they sort of realized let's swap their responsibilities and maybe it'll come out of both of them a little bit. And was really good. That's one of those position groups where sometimes it can feel like very different, maybe based on the skill sets of the guys, but also, I mean, it's not, you know, you're kind of right there. I do think a world where, and they've rotated as many as six defensive tackles between those two spots in the past. If you entered a world where Teron Vincent was comfortable at both, and like Antoine Jackson started on the nose, Haskell Garrett started at three tech, and like Teron Vincent was like the number one backup at both spots, and you kind of played three guys in two spots, and then some other guys worked in, like that could be good, Nathan. I think that's like a like a, yeah. like if if there's and maybe Jaron Cage is going to be awesome, or maybe Mike Hall's going to take reps as a freshman. I don't know, but that wouldn't shock me. And that to me is why you would be building some versatility for Teron Vincent because okay, maybe nose tackle is like sixty percent Jackson and forty percent Vincent, and maybe three tech is like. Jackson, 80% Garrett, Garrett. and 20% Vincent. And now all of a sudden, Teron Vincent's on the field like more than half the time. And that maybe would work. That's still really intriguing to a lot of people, obviously, just because of the pedigree he came in with, both as his name and then what he did as a recruit where he was, you know, evaluated to be as a, as a prospect coming in. And we just haven't been able to see it because of all the injuries he's gone through and, and, and various things. So 
that would potentially be, I think you're right, an avenue to that sort of a breakthrough. It's interesting to go into this spring, the, the first one in a while, right, where you don't have an obvious, like you look at that team and you're like, well, that guy is clearly the nose tackle, right? Because you went from Davon Hamilton to Tommy Togai. And even though last year we didn't know that Tommy Togai was going to be what Tommy Togai was, there was no question he was a nose tackle. That's a that's a Big Ten nose tackle right there. I don't know if you necessarily look at this roster and think that about anybody that's among these candidates we're talking about, right? I mean, Antoine Jackson might be the closest, but I th- he they, he was always talked about as a as a guy who could go back and forth between both tackle spots last season. So I, that's still something I think that they need to address long term is getting back to that kind of Togiai player, even that Devon Hamilton player, where it's just that that mountain that you that's going to take up those double teams. Um, that's uh, it, it could be interesting. They may have to just play those positions a little bit differently this year than they have. Could Ty Hamilton get in on that, though? I mean, he's up to 290 yeah. pounds, and uh, he was uh, – Barry Johnson mentioned him last year in the preseason when we talked to him. He was the only freshman uh, among that group that got mentioned, and I wonder if he's just on a a, 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 be- a a quicker path to the field than his older brother was. Yeah, his older brother's path was a little – winding a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, like – but when he got to the end of his path, it was – a third round NFL draft pick who like had a really good rookie year. Like he's a really good football player. So, you know, lots of different paths, but I think it's, and that's why uh, that's what I miss, right? That's what we're all missing. We realize that. And I wish for all of our texters and all of our listeners that we just could give a little bit more if our eyeballs were on it. Cause that's what you'd be looking for. Be like, Oh, look at that. I mean, you know, I don't want to read into it too much, but I saw a drill where Ty Hamilton was the second guy up behind Haskell Garrett. And, you know, like that stuff is not nothing. And we're not able to give that. And it was like, you know, I wanted Ryan Day to like give us as little much as much of a taste of that as he could. And he gave us a little taste, not as much as we would want. But we'll get eyeballs on these guys. Maybe not in spring, but I mean, maybe we will in spring. Actually, I mean, that's what the spring game is for. If it doesn't happen before the spring game, fingers crossed, the spring game comes off and we all everybody listening will get their own taste and you'll have a sense of that. Maybe we'll, we'll get maybe a little something before that. I think that's on the table, but that's the, some of the fun part of spring football. Um, all right. I guess we have to talk about the quarterbacks, even to say not much to say about the quarterbacks. I mean, he's not giving much away, but he talked about again. Didn't he talk Steven about like, guys learning from their mistakes and that kind of thing. And like who picks stuff up. That is, I did think we got pretty decent. I liked the podcast we did. I thought the quarterback preview podcast was actually pretty stinking good. Um, But it's like it, for all the skills he Ryan day is going to keep talking about like the brain power part of it, the learning, you know, it's like, all right, well, y'all can throw y'all can run. You're all big. You're all strong. Y'all have good instincts. Y'all have, you know, whatever who processes this. And and so he mentioned that again, Steven, I don't know that we got a lot of information about it, but he's going to keep talking about it. Yeah. And I think uh, Kevin Wilson kind of got asked a similar thing on Friday, if I'm not mistaken, when I was listening along when I was driving, just maybe catering the offense differently when you have different styles of quarterbacks, basically trying to get him to talk about each quarterback. And he gave a similar answer. It's, you know, processing stuff. I think the most interesting thing we learned today though, is because we had talked about it at such length, whether or not they would make the quarterback semi live, for some scrimmages this just to get them in some adverse situations because 
they've never thrown a pass and they've never really been in a situation where they're dropping back and there's a defensive lineman trying to take their head off. And he pretty much nipped that in the bud today. They won't be doing that. He, and he's thought about it, especially when they make those mistakes and maybe threw an interception or fumbled a snap or whatever, um, thought about doing it, but they're, they're just not going to do it this spring, which is interesting. I thought maybe they do it at least once. I would love, and I, I, I think he might answer it. I'm going to put this on my list of Ryan day questions, maybe for next Monday. What percent, how much percent of the knowledge about a quarterback can you gain when he's not live versus whether it's in a game, obviously, or when it's like you're live in like a really simulated team scrimmage. Can you get a 70% read, especially on a young quarterback on a guy who really hasn't played? Can you get a 70% read from non-live stuff or is it more like 30 or is it 90? Or is it 10 that like, listen, we're working on skill development, but it is hard to tell until you're under the gun. Right. And that not only do you have to read the defense and make the read and throw an accurate pass, but also someone's trying to come and split you in half. Mm -hmm. So uh, they're not going to let their guys split them in half, but they're, I mean, when you go live, it's like, okay, well, and then just get to the quarterback and don't kill him. I, I get it felt like Nathan, the way Stephen was talking about, it, I think is right. Like Ryan Day's thought about it. It almost feels like he wishes that he could, but he just knows like I can't get a quarterback hurt trying to outthink myself here. And again, as we've talked about this whole time, it's it it's a battle to be the starter, but it's also the battle to develop all three of these guys because you don't know how many of them you might need in the fall. Somebody goes, you pick a starter, he goes down. The second guy's got to be pretty good. I, I, do you know if they've done any kind of virtual reality stuff with their quarterbacks here? Because other programs have done that, and that's one way you can sometimes get some of those that same simulation without having to actually put them in front of a you know Haskell Garrett to come in and flatten them. They do. Um, I think they in 29th that spring before you got here, they actually brought it in because that's when they let us walk around the Woody and Steve stuff. And they were having Justin go through a lot of that stuff. Him and your they put him on the VR. Um, and that's where he was getting a lot. He was getting that many more reps that he couldn't get on the field. He would just go to the VR room and get it. But still, there is something to, you know, it's real, especially when one of the guys in that room, you haven't you know, what the first practice was last week. Last week was the first time you saw him throw live in two, two, three years. So I, I, the virtual, it helps as far as mindset, but I do still think there is something to you being on the field and knowing that you actually can get, can get hit. And that's not necessarily a virtual thing. What if they put you in the VR room? And then if you got hit by a VR blitzer, like Dewan Jones hit you in the ribs with like a foam bat. I wouldn't say uh, not Dewan, not Dewan. That's too big. What if, like, Jake Seibert hit him in the ribs with a that's foam a good bat? One. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I don't know. I mean, it's like, yeah, but so, I mean, they've all played. It's like, oh, how are you going to find out if they're good? They've never played football before. I mean, they've, played, they've played football before. So, like, that's what they can sense it from the game film and who gets happy feet and who stays in the pocket and who has that mobility to sidestep a rush and say, that was one of those things with Justin, right? I mean, again, if you go find the film people, like we had Derek Klassen on, I mean, there are times like you watch Justin when it's like, oh, here comes a blitzer. That's cool. Whoop. Like just not even run, just like move his hip out of the way and just stand there. Like, I don't care. Like I blitz as many guys as you want. 
I'm either going to just step or I'm going to just, I'm so strong. I'm going to just let you slide off of me. And then I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Like they're not going to be there. None of the three of those, whoever the starting quarterback is week one for Ohio state is not going to look like Justin in the pocket when he does that. But I still don't know, Nathan. I, like I said, is it 30? Is it 70%? Is it 90? What would you guess it is in terms of how much you can get shy of having that live rep? I think that's a that's a fantastic question. I think it's probably it, – I think Ryan Day would probably say it's closer to 70 than 30. And the other thing to remember is, too, when we're talking about why you don't make them live, it's, it's not it, – the quarterback contact they're trying to avoid is that didn't see it coming, smashed from the blind side. Like you don't want, they don't need this quarterback. Can't have this quarterback competition be decided by who happened to be taking reps with the third string left tackle one day instead of Thayer Munford. I don't think, I think that's what you want to avoid too. It needs to be decided by production on the field. So I see what you're saying, but I think that's part of, you have to make trade-offs. And I think that's the trade-off is like, we're going to keep all three of these guys as healthy as possible into the fall we being that I'm speaking for Ohio state, keep all three of those guys healthy into the fall and, and, and make the best decision on who produced instead of just having to pick from the two that are left after that guy got his ankle snapped or whatever. It might be 50 though. You might learn half because maybe you see who can kind of operate pre-snap in these situations. You know, when you do send the blind side blitz or you send something that a delayed blitz or whatnot, now that you know, it's live, maybe you're a little bit more, alert and a little bit more tuned in here and you're able to catch some stuff pre-snap that maybe you wouldn't have caught when you know that they can't touch you. So maybe you learn that stuff, but you don't, you're never going to learn who can stand in there and make a pocket while somebody's, you know, hitting them at the same time, who can, you won't learn that stuff, but you can learn to the point of the processing information that Ryan day and Kevin Wilson want these guys to learn. Maybe you learn that stuff. Well, but those, those snaps are live too, up to the point where there's contact. It's not like they're not going to be seeing blitzes and seeing things. So, and I do, I bet – I wish I knew more stuff. I bet – <laughs> I bet that it's something like most guys are pretty similar, right? And 10% are, like, much worse when the lights come on and the, and the bodies are flying, and 10% get better that they want the juice. And it's like in practice when it's not real, maybe they're a little off. And then it's like, oh, there's a guy coming. Like now I'm locked in. But maybe like 80% are kind of like, no, it's pretty, you get a good read, right? But what if of the three guys, one's in the middle 80%, one's in the 10% that gets better, and one's in the 10% that gets worse, right? I mean, I I wonder if it's something like that. Um, And then you think you know, and then you find out, oh, I didn't quite know, right? Because that's, you know, I think wasn't that a thing with Josh Proctor when Josh Proctor didn't play early? It was like maybe Josh Proctor wasn't practicing great, and then they put him in, and I was like, he's really good. Why don't they put him in before? Yeah, he's better when you ask him in the moment, like he is ready for this. And I do think there are some guys who are like that. Maybe it wasn't Proctor, but I think no, maybe it was, was Brendan White. I think the, oh, Brendan White. The, the, the idea of some guys are practice players and some guys suck in practice, but they're awesome in games. And I, I think. Uh, and, and at quarterback, I don't know if that's a safe territory to, to, to be that type of player. I think uh, I think if you really want to split up, I think within that 10% who get better, there's 5% who are great at both. And that's where your starter is when you're yeah. trying to win a national title. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, it's one of those things. I think we, we're going to keep asking Ryan Day, and he's going to keep giving, like, especially, I mean, about quarterbacks. 
And he's going to keep giving like kind of non-answers, vague stuff. But I think we, you know, I think we need, we need facts about all the other positions, names, reps, that kind of thing. And I think at quarterback, we're going to keep asking about the process and, and not necessarily what exactly are you learning, but how are you learning it? And how do you feel about how you're learning it? And that's why I do think what he said today about now, we're not, we're just not going to go live right now. It's not worth the risk was an important part of that. Cause it's part of the process. All right. We good with football. Anything else, Nathan, you want to bring up Steven, anybody got something that's like, Oh wait, we forgot this part. I, mean, I think we're good today. We're going to get um, Tuesday. We're getting all six scholarship running backs for yeah. interviews. So I think that's yeah. interesting. We get to talk to the true freshmen. And I assume we'll get a load of linebackers on Thursday. So um, we should have a lot more to talk about later this week. Yeah, the only I mean, for the sake of saying it, he just said that Master Teague's the incumbent starter. But we knew that coming into it, that that was going to be the case. That's going to be an interesting thing to ask after these 15 start practices, if that's still the case. I mean, there is I, I am a little bit I mean, we're not going to find this out. Because we're going to get Tony Alford, too. Like mm-hmm. when we talk about we get the players, you also you always get the position coach. Jerry Emick does a good job of setting that stuff up. Um, who how would what's the order between Mayan Williams, Steel Chambers or Marcus Crowley? That it's like we know Master Teague's Master Teague. He's played. We know the two true freshmen are dudes, but they haven't done anything. But there are these three other guys who like are here varying lengths. All none have really done much. Some have dealt with injury. Some, but like, I mean, we're not going to get an answer on that. But I would like Nathan. I would be a little bit curious of like if you could say to Tony Alford, Tony, rank those three, just in terms of like on your depth chart right now. How do those three relate to each other? Because as we've said, like I think there is room for one of them somewhere. I don't think there's room for all three of them somewhere. So I am a little curious about that. Well, I've been thinking about that exact question, actually, because I think you've got to ask it in a more nuanced way, because if you just ask him to rank him, he ain't going to do it, I don't think. But I think if you say, hey, here we look at this and we see Master Teague is is established where he is for for legitimate reasons. And Trevon Henderson and Evan Pryor are coming in with all of these accolades and all these expectations. So you got three other guys here that seem kind of squeezed. So where do these guys go this spring? Like, do where where is the future for these three guys, um, and how how they can fit in on this team or in in this offense is more. I mean, they'll find a place, they'll find a special teams thing for them to run down the field on. But can they play in this offense? Like, wh- where does that happen? And um, th- I think those there may be no position on this team where there's more urgency for just a couple of guys to kind of find a way to separate themselves this spring. And there isn't necessarily a lot of separation on paper. There is a little bit with Mayan Williams because he's a different body type than those other two. But don't Steel Chambers and Marcus Crawley seem like almost kind of the same guy in a lot yes. of ways? And like the, those two guys, there seems to be like, you know, we got room for one, maybe. Which is what I mean, Steel Chambers is interesting because I think some people thought he might be a linebacker by the time we got to this point. And if you look at some of his high school film, he was pretty solid linebacker. He nothing like he was terrible at the position, but yeah, him and Mar- Marcus Crowley are basically the same person, the hair size, look, everything about them is the exact same. And so I, that isn't, I think that's interesting, but also the two running back thing. I think it, it, to ask Tony Alford about it from day one right now, because they've tried it twice and it hasn't worked either time. Yeah. Tony, could you rank your running backs right now, one through six, by hair? Um, Master Teague's bald, so he's probably six. He rocks that bald pretty good. He does. That's he looks good with it. 
I always, I, I fear that. I don't think I'm going to rock my bald that well. I mean, I have a choice. I'm worried I have a lumpy head. I don't know. Egghead. I'm worried. I don't want to find out, but I'm going to. Um, but, I had a but, roommate once who was in the Air Force, and he told me that. Like, if you're going to get your head shaved, make sure you know what shape your head is because there's some guys out there with some goofy skulls, and they don't know it until they get shaved. But I'm reserving the right. I never really thought about it. Well, no, I did think about it. I always thought, I'm just going to let my hair do what it's going to do. What am I? I mean, it's uh, how am I supposed to do? We just are who we are. It's like there's the part of your body that you can control, right? And there's like the part of your body. It's like you can't work out harder to get your hair to grow. Like, why would, why are people like embarrassed about things that they have no control over? Take vitamins. But, but even that, it's I don't genetic. want like, like, what can you do? Yeah, it's genetic. Because yeah. all genetic stuff, I'm always like, why are people embarrassed by genetic stuff? I mean, people, I'm watching a very life affirming television show right now about uh, having, you know, feeling good about your body and no matter what. Great show. But so people should have great pride in it no matter what, everything, whether you think you can control it or not or whatever. But like, I, I always thought, no, I'm just going to let my hair go. Like, it is what it is. But I'll tell you, man, Shaka Smart, we were talking about Shaka Smart before the podcast started. That sure. is a bold, just like, I don't care. I'm not going to try to like ease into it and trick and like people think, like, oh, you know, it's just there's none. And then there's a boatload and it looks good. Like if you did not know him previously, you'd be like, that's a fine head of hair on that man. It just made me reconsider it a little bit. So I, it's possible that someday I'm just going to walk in with, I just be like, I don't care. I have 400 times as much hair today as I did yesterday. That's the interesting thing about this pandemic is it showed us who's bald by choice and who's bald because genetics and that's how life goes. Yeah. Okay, let's do a little basketball on the other side, and then we'll do just a tiny little bit of snack stuff. Next on Buckeye Talk. All right, so we've been holding off a little bit on uh, some of this basketball talk because we wanted to see what happened to Iowa, and they are going down. Yep. <laughs> and losing by six. A, it is 95 to 79 right now as we're recording. That last segment we were recording, you guys might have seen me make a face because one of the alerts popped up on my phone. Uh, Oregon was averaging 1.35 points per possession today. <laughs> I, was like, I just made one of those like uh, DeAndre Jordan stink faces after he dunked on that guy mm-hmm. a few years but ago. Like, did Garza like, have like 30 points in the first 10 minutes and now they're losing by 15? It's the Iowa way. Iowa is the only team who is losing the exact way we thought that a Big Ten team was going to lose. So we won't, we'll talk briefly about the EJ Liddell stuff, but we don't talk about just basketball. So as we sit here and it is, we're getting used to this, that it's, it's not Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So we're finishing up this uh, first weekend on a Monday here. I was going down the only two teams that are left and we're not waiting to record because they're Monday night are Michigan and Maryland. So we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, Maryland had a nice little win over UConn. People had, had Mar- had UConn maybe doing a little something? I think some people thought, I don't know, but they're Maryland's playing Bama, the two seed, so that'd be a heck of a win for Maryland. And then we're going to assume Michigan's playing LSU and eight. I mean, I think you can assume Michigan, but like we can whatever it is. As as we said, well, should we wait and do this? And it's like, well, what's the difference going to be at this point? The Big Ten started the tournament with nine teams. And they're either going to have zero, one, or two make the Sweet 16. If we jet, I think it's not an unfair assumption to say, okay, it'll probably be just Michigan. Michigan will be the only Big Ten team that gets through to the Sweet 16. But even if Maryland gets through also, Stephen, 
Was the Big Ten overrated? That's the question. And coaches like to pretend that, you know, when you lose, they act like the NCAA tournament doesn't matter. But, you know, things are trends sometimes and they all lost in their own way. Does this is this a referendum on the Big Ten's regular season in some way? No. And yes, at the same time, I think the Illinois one is excusable because they shouldn't have been playing like Loyola when they were playing them. So that one, that's that that's a they weren't supposed to be eight seed. They were better than an eight seed. 100%. Baird face. We have Baird face here. In Loyola the was definitely Baird better than an eight seed. The, uh, oh, let, let him go. Let him. Let him. Let's see him finish. Definitely we'll better. Than I, was, I was gonna do the Kanye now. there. I was gonna be. I'm gonna let <laughs> yeah. you finish. I'm gonna let you finish. <laughs> but the person who now. the people who should have been mad about Loyola being underseated was Loyola. That's the only people who should be mad about. No, that. correct. Well, let, let him finish. Let him finish. Let him finish. Uh, correct. Illinois still needs to go win that game. But at the same time, you shouldn't be playing a team who probably should be a four seed in the second round. But besides that. Ohio State lost a basketball game the exact way you would think Ohio State would lose a basketball game, regardless of who the talent was. And Oral Roberts actually is pretty good, as we've, we are now finding out. They're on their way to the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. They just beat Florida. Uh, well, at least their best two players are pretty good. The other 12 members of that roster don't do anything. Uh, I was losing the way we thought Iowa would lose. Rutgers had a little run, but I don't think they were overrated, but I do think that we need to – calm down the big 10 is the best conference in basketball it might be the deepest as far as good teams but i don't know if you can call it the best conference when your best four teams might not be in the final four or even the elite eight. or michigan's your best hope of getting getting somebody into the elite eight definitely overrated nathan go ahead well i mean there if you're the big 10 you're either overrated or you're just underperforming to an astonishing degree pick one of those two things but and neither one of them are good, but it's one of those two things. The, the, the only two options. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Illinois thing, I, it, it makes me upset because if Illinois had gotten in one year as an eight seed and beat the one in the second round, they wouldn't be saying, well, this wasn't that good of a win because we were actually better than an eight seed. So it's really kind of unfair that that one seed even had to play. It's like, you got to win. Like, this is the NCAA tournament. After you get past that first round, especially, I, a lot of things equalize, and I don't have a lot of sympathy for Illinois not beating Loyola. I think I have sympathy for Loyola that they had to play a one seed in the second round. I thought that was borderline travesty. I don't feel as much um, sympathy for Illinois having lost that game. And I think, it, it again, you have to look at these things over time. I think one tournament in itself, you can make too much of it, I suppose. But the fact that they're not getting anybody through, I mean, you're not getting teams out of the first round. You're not getting – you had two seeds and one seeds that can't get out of the first round. You had a team like – Purdue that even would have had a, a good opportunity to move through and can't get out of the first round loses badly in Indiana to a to a 13 seed like just um, you know Rutgers you could actually say is like one of the best performances that the Big Ten has had in this tournament like pushing Houston as far as they did winning that first round game I mean Rutgers is if, if Michigan doesn't keep winning Rutgers is going to like stand up as the shining beacon of the Big Ten in this tournament underperforming I lean a lot more that way than overrated Rutgers should have won that kind of stung. They really, they blew that game. But I mean, there are 10 seats. You don't hold them to the same standard. Um, As people Loy- know, I picked Houston to go to the championship game on our bracket, but I was rooting for Rutgers. I'm like, forget that. Like, throw that out the window. I want, I don't want Kelvin Sampson. I would, you're going to tell me, like, what's better for college basketball? The Steve Peichel still in this tournament or Kel- Kelvin Sampson? Steven picked Rutgers to go to the Sweet 16, right? I did. I did pick them. And you're I was so early. close. I was almost right. But I also have not looked at my bracket. No. But I'm well, not going to. I don't, need to look at, I don't need to look at a graveyard. 
We'll talk. Uh, we'll talk about the. We'll give a bracket update. Two hundred and ninety-nine people in the uh, in the Buckeye Talk bracket, which we were very happy about. We'll talk about that uh, on the Wednesday pod because then everything will be set. So we'll talk about who's ahead. We're still in, in progress right now. Um, would Loyola have won the Big Ten this year? So I do think I disagree with the point of Nathan. The only people hurt by underseeding Loyola was Loyola. Illinois was hurt too. Now it's not an excuse, but. That was a better eight seed than a one seed should play. I mean, it's the whole point of seeding is that the opponent should be worse based on the number. So if you're a one and you wind up playing a team that's four quality in the second round instead of in the Sweet 16, that is tougher on you. But Illinois is better. Illinois should win. It's not, you know, so I do think there's a little bit there. But Loyola, as people were saying, looked. And I thought, I thought Jim Nance, I'm a little out on Jim Nance. I, he's in too many commercials. He's cheesy. He's cheesy. No, he's cheesy. Yeah. And he's been around forever. And like, I don't really like cheese that much anyway, but, but definitely at some point there's too much cheese. So like I, he was like hitting the Cinderella thing on Loyola. And it was like, they are not a Cinderella. Not anymore. Like, but like they were top 10 in Ken Palm. Like they are not. A Cinderella. Like, I don't know. First time around when we didn't know any better, they were. We know better now. Like, be better, Jim Nance. This is not a Cinderella miracle story. They look like the better basketball team, like from the jump. And and I don't know when people stop saying that, like, Butler's a Cinderella. It's like when Brad Stevens was coaching Butler and stuff, and like they had those guys, it's like they are not a Cinderella. Like I, they're a mid-major, I get it, but that is not, they are not Oral Roberts. So let's be smarter, Jim Nance, about how you characterize things. But Steven, like, I watched that game and I thought, well, I thought that Illinois was going to win the national championship because I thought, even with Michigan was healthy, I thought Illinois really might be the best team in the Big Ten. But Loyola is better than them. <laughs> like, no. I'm not like I think if they played 10 times, I think Loyola might win six. They wouldn't win nine. But like it's not like Loyola, if Loyola played a Big Ten schedule, they would have had a better record than 12 and 8. Loyola's better than Ohio State. Is that does anybody dispute that? Crumpwig, Officer Crumpwig would have had his way with Ohio state, whatever that guy's name is, the big guy. Right. I mean, that's yeah. Ohio state doesn't have that. Who's guarding that guy. Yeah. And they have a couple little, they have a couple little dudes then. I don't know. Like Loyola's good. And I think in a world where they did play non-conference games, but things got a little constrained. Right. And I don't even know what the big Ten's best non-conference win was. I mean, I'm sure there is one, but that that to me was that too. It's not like it's not like the the Loyola. I mean, like the Loyola, Loyola thing was like legit from the jump. To the question, could they have won the Big Ten? They would have been in the comp mix, one hundred percent. They would have been in the mix for a top four seed in the tournament. I don't know if they would have won it because they did play a Big Ten team during the regular season, and Wisconsin wiped the floor with them, seventy seven to sixty three, when they played early in the season. I think that it would have just played out the same way you saw for. Illinois and Michigan and Iowa and Ohio State and Purdue where they had some really good moments and they also had some really low moments and then they probably would have made a deep run. Um, but I, 
it's hard to say who if they would have won it because some of the some of why Michigan ended up winning the Big Ten is obviously they had that two week COVID break, so they were probably a little bit more rested. Everybody, but also just who did you end up having to play at the end of the season? They gave you a more favorable schedule to to get the best possible record you could get. But uh, yes, they would have been one of the top four or five teams in the Big Ten this year. I think I would push back a little bit too on the idea that Loyola beats Illinois six out of 10 times. I think that's, what's the beauty of this tournament is that they don't, they only have to beat them once out of 10 times, as long as it's that one time that they play. So how many times? I think they split it. You think it's 50, 50 Loyola is really good. I asked this I question. Loyola is really good. I, uh, if you, if you really for good. your life, or if we just had a draft, we could have a draft for fake money. Yeah. Once the Sweet 16 is set, if we had a draft of you want, we're going to have the guy who picks the national championship team wins 10 bucks. All right, Nathan, you have the first pick. Who are you taking? Well, it depends on who's still left. But, but you're Gonzaga. taking Gonzaga. You're taking I would Gonzaga. take Gonzaga, yeah. Michigan, Houston. You would take Houston ahead of Loyola? Yeah. Ooh. I definitely would not. Ooh, I don't know about that one. Um, Loyola has the best defense in the country. Uh, I, they would be the a top six pick. I don't know if I take Houston before Loyola, but they would be gone by the time we got to everybody's third pick. I'm not sure I wouldn't take them after Baylor and Gonzaga. Gonzaga first, Baylor second, and then like, okay, Michigan. It's like you mean Michigan, the one team left from this crappy conference. How good are we? Uh, we're that sure Michigan's that good? We thought this conference was awesome. Was this the best conference, and they won the best conference? And as Steven said, maybe they got a little bump. You know, being fresh in the middle of the year? I don't know. I'm out, man. I, 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 They laid an egg. This one sticks because, as we said, like, the door was wide open. Yep. No Kentucky. No Duke. North Carolina stinks. Kansas isn't that good. Right? And the, the door is wide open. Like, the Pac-12 stepping through the door. The Big Ten. The Pac-12 like, look, looks awesome. Like, I mean. that's, that's what we thought the Big Ten was going to do. And it's like, I, I, you know, again, every coach wants to say, well, you know, don't put too much, too much on the tournament. I thought this is a, I think this is somewhat indicative of something that if, if, if they build each other up primarily by playing each other, and then it turns out none of them are that good. Oregon. I mean, I was getting rolled by Oregon for real. And like, but we're not surprised, but they're the third best team in the big 10. And it's like, well, you know, yeah. I don't know. How good were they? They well, lost by Oregon 15. Team, Oregon 15. team hadn't played in like 12 days, too. Yeah. 15? They lost by 15? They're the third best team? Like, what are we talking about? Ohio State looked like a soft, too, man. That's the – okay, Ohio State's the third best team? I mean, that's – seriously. It's not as good as we thought. So, whatever. If you want to talk about whatever, they were overrated or they underperformed or whatever, like, I, I don't think – that a bunch of good Big Ten teams had bad days. I think the Big Ten teams, as Steven said at the top, kind of were what they were, and it turns out it's not good enough. And part of, like, the door is wide open, instead of the Big Ten stepping through, they're part of the people who threw open the door for everybody else. So it's like, now you say, oh, the door's wide open. No Duke. No Kentucky. North Carolina's not that good. Kansas is not that good. And by the way, the league that everybody thought was the best league is a fraud. So it's wide open. Good luck, everybody else. They're throwing open the door. And that has to factor in to how you view Ohio State, I think, too. This has to affect somehow. It's like, oh, 12 and 8. 12 and 8 and what? Are we that right? I, I'm all right. I'm a negative jerk. 
Everybody knows that. But that's how I'm taking this. It's not the end all be all. It is affecting the view. So, but I want to get to Ohio State specifically a little bit. Oral Roberts making the Sweet 16 makes Ohio State fans feel better. I think it makes you feel worse because it reminds you that Florida, are you kidding me, was there for the taking. Like if Oral Roberts can beat Florida, and now who's Oral Roberts playing next? Arkansas? Yes. Who barely beat Texas and Tech? They're probably going to beat them. I-, I would pick Oral Roberts. So it's like that makes you feel better because now this is what? Proving that Oral Roberts is actually great? Or is it proving that what we thought, which is wide open path was there for anyone who wanted to go down the path and Oral Roberts came and shoved Ohio state into the bushes and said, Nope, we're taking that path. I think it makes you feel worse because if Oral Roberts got rolled in the next round, you would have been like, man, Florida looked awesome. I don't think Ohio state, as it turns out, was going to beat them. It's like Florida was eminently beatable as expected. And it's just the 15 beat him instead of the two. I do not buy Oral Roberts in the Sweet 16 is some kind of validation of the Ohio State loss in any way. No, it's not. I mean, they're using two people and that's it. Uh, Max Aismas and Kevin O'Banner have literally played every single minute of Oral Roberts NCAA tournament. They played 45 minutes in the first round, 40. So it's just them, those two guys. I don't know if it makes you feel worse. But it does definitely doesn't help. You, you, you got upset and now you, you, you lost. You created a Cinderella. So I don't know if that makes you feel better or worse. But the point of the matter is you lost a game you shouldn't have won. And now you just lo- watch that team you lost to win another game that they probably shouldn't have won. What do you think, Nathan? How should it make Ohio State fans feel better or worse that Oral Roberts is in the Sweet 16? I think it's worse because it just it re it reinforces what the opportunity is there. As you were saying before, you know, the seating should, in theory, set up to help the best teams or give give the best teams an easier path. If you believe that, then um, it, it reinforces the opportunity that was missed by Ohio State. You just don't get two seeds very often. You know, think of all the times where there have been like teams that got a four seed instead of a three seed and how much different that makes your tournament path because how much sooner you have to play a one like little things like that are are make a huge difference the difference between a two and a three sometimes is huge because there's i think in people's minds there can be a big difference between sixes and sevens so i I, you know i think you're right i think that um it reinforces that a an opportunity was there it's a rare opportunity for programs that you don't get two seeds that often um even at places like ohio state and michigan and michigan state i mean it's a lot of times those teams have to make their path with three, fours, fives, whatevers, and um, they missed an opportunity. Florida was a seven. Loyola's an eight. Right? I mean, like, that's mm-hmm. – I was like, you had like a – you had a seven that was just sitting there. You had a real seven, not a situation where it was a seven that maybe should have been a two or a three. Yeah. I mean – You had a had, seven who might have – actually should have been a nine or a ten. Like I said, I mean, like – Thad Mata's first year in the tournament, they were a two. Their seven had Roy Hibbert and Jeff Green. Right? Like, I mean, that's – and they lost. They lost to a seven because Georgetown was a seven, and the next year that seven made the final four with those players. Like, this was not that. It was there for the taking. Like, as you know, I we like, you know, I wrote the thing before. Like, we all agreed there's a path, right, Stephen? And you and I wrote the same thing. I'm like, there's a path. And as soon as they lost, because like the people who live their life to like, as soon as their team loses, the number one thing they want to do is like email a sports writer and say you were yeah. wrong, which is fine. <laughs> but like somebody emailed was like, oh, 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 
you. And I said, it doesn't mean the path wasn't there. They just mm-hmm. stunk today. Yeah. This is validation that the path was there. Are you kidding me? You had to beat Florida. And now Arkansas is sitting there. Arkansas, who should have? I, th- I would have been more worried about Texas Tech if they had won that game. That, that six instead of that three. Now, Baylor's looks good, right? So it's like, oh, yeah, well, you would have had Baylor sitting there. Because someone else I saw on Twitter was like, well, Baylor looks so good. I don't feel as bad about Ohio State. What? Like, you're not – you feel better about losing to a 15 because you probably would have lost in the Elite Eight. In the Elite Eight. So I'm just going to be honest here. <laughs> Had Ohio State not, you know, completely lost lost its mind and basically they'd be on the, to the Sweet 16 right now, my Monday morning story would have probably been, can Ohio State go win a national championship at this point? Just looking at this path and how much easier it gotten because Illinois is gone and now it's, it's just Baylor. Can you get through Baylor and then we'll see what happens when you toss the ball up and have to go play Gonzaga? Yeah, the, black, the bracket exploded. Yeah. So if you're alive, you've got a shot because the bracket's on fire. So then it's one of those things. It's it's those thing again. I mean, it's like it's just if you want to make an excuse for your team or not. It's like, well, all these teams lost. It's like, okay. so does that make it better to lose to a 15? Or is it like, oh, my God, if you could just have beaten a 15, it was all there for the taking. Right. So that's I don't know. People are. I think we get it. We'll get into this more on Wednesday, like you said, about the bracket. But I just took a quick look of the top six scoring brackets as a 2.30 on Monday and our of almost 300 people. One of them has even three teams of their final four left. One yeah. of them. Yeah. And, and I think most of them don't even have their national championship is already is already eradicated. So uh, that bracket's wide open, folks. Wide open. Uh, all right. Let's talk about EJ Liddell quickly. Um, people want us to talk about it. I'm actually not sure like what. Well, I do know what the, to me, what the point is, because if the point is like, that's not acceptable, it's like, of, of course, it's not acceptable. So it's like a, a great deep discussion about like fans shouldn't do that is like, of course, nobody's disputing that it's awful. And my takeaway is that humans are garbage. So and technology has allowed garbage humans to communicate their trash directly to people more so than in the past. So that's not a new take either. I mean, I've had people say humans are the worst species. Some people say dolphins are the worst species. And I always say, no, no, it's humans. They're the worst. So I don't know what else there is to say. I think like EJ Liddell should be supported. I think fans supporting him is great. I think Ohio State is supporting him. That's wonderful. But Stephen, you you wrote the initial story off of it. Like what? And then I, I do want to get to the second part. But what else? What else is like the takeaway here? I mean, I'm sure that's not the first time he's gotten those messages and he's not the only athlete, whether we're talking pros or student athletes to get messages like that. Um, I did talk to some people around EJ and around Ohio State. He's doing he's fine. It's not, you know. It, it, I probably, it ruined his moment, obviously, but he's doing okay. He's, he's mentally and everything is all right. He'll be okay. He's, he's bouncing back from this pretty well. I just think the overall house um, is obviously taking some illegal action because that, that's real. I mean, those are threats. Even if it, you don't want to have your picture behind it and you want to hide behind the keyboard, you, you threaten somebody on a public platform and you, it's in writing. So they're, they're taking uh, legal action against that. But um, yeah, I mean, this, this is the, the sad part of, professional athletes and especially with student athletes who aren't but, being well, the straw line right there that's professional athletes i mean it's awful you're millionaires it's different 
that that's a that's a this is a thousand times worse to me because it's an amateur. Yeah, yeah, it's especially worse with students because they're they're literally playing for the love of the sport. They're not being compensated whatsoever for this, so they shouldn't have to do deal with that. It, I mean, the kid had 23, four, 14 no, rebounds, five assists. Of course, it's like I know. It's I'm ridiculous. thinking to myself, imagine how much worse it is in games when he's two of thirteen and has four points. Okay, so it's awful. People are people are terrible. I do think that there is something to the idea of Ohio State like is clearly jumping to the defense of E.J. Liddell. Gene Smith did it. Chris Holtman did it. Lots of fellow student athletes did it. Fans did it. And that's great. But Nathan, I think you are on to a very interesting story about this. And the way college sports works actually forces athletes to be in this situation to some degree. So I know you're working on this. Nobody's going to steal it from you because nobody's thinking of it this way. But the idea of like, this happens to an amateur athlete and the university is like, Hey, here's a, here's a tweet about it. We support our guy is a little bit to me, it's good. It's good, of course. But like, and I know they're doing more than that. But it's the, the system is set up this way, Nathan, to sort of put these amateur athletes in this situation. So, so here was kind of my thought process on, on why I started calling some people today and, and, and writing about this. And I've got an interview I'm going to do as soon as we get off the, the phone here or, or off the call. Um, the Voldemort that I used to cover uh, for a while, they had a policy. Their coach had a policy that you could not their players could not be on social media during the season. And it wasn't because of things he was worried that they were necessarily doing. I think it was more that he had seen instances like what EJ Liddell had, maybe not to that extreme. And in his mind, like, am I, if I, am I putting them in a place where I'm asking too much of them not to respond to that? And that's where you get into back and forth and things get, out of hand and it gets problematic. So they, he thought kind of an old school coach thought that he would just remove it by not letting him be on social media. They changed that policy a couple of years ago, partially because of what we're going to start seeing sooner, which is branding and things like that, that it was important for those players to start establishing that when they were in college, he got talked into that. I was talking to some players on the team and one of them said, well, I'm not even on social media and I don't care about any of this because I want to avoid all the negativity. I want to avoid that harassment. I want to avoid people telling me how much I suck just because I had a bad game or a bad quarter or a bad series. Like, and um, so I, I, the thought came into my mind. Is I, I thought of that guy that I interviewed. And then I thought, but that same kid in the future, if he took that stance, is costing himself name, image, and likeness income. Because the way that they're setting this up is the NCAA is going to the institutions are going to bypass any revenue sharing with the students. You have to go get it on your own off of your name, image and likeness. Social media influencing is going to be a huge component of that. So you're going to have to. And I don't think it's I don't I think the answer is, unfortunately, that this is just modern society. And as a public figure, if you're going to. I think all influencers probably deal with this, but like it's something if you're going to choose to engage in it and use it for monetary reasons, you're going to have to sort of accept some of this blowback. So Ohio State already has some education that they do with their student athletes on on how to best handle these things. They're going to do more. They've got some programs that are going in related to NIL as soon as this April. 
So that's already starting to happen. But it just kind of brought back to me kind of the, the unfortunate reality of if you want to be a college athlete who takes advantage of NIL, you're going to have you, you absolutely are more open to this sort of attack. And it's one thing if you're AJ Liddell and you're a basketball player and you get a lot of adulation that goes along with it. I'm thinking of, um, you know, there's other athletes who don't get that as much. There's other athletes who, if you're a woman, if you're a person of color, as DJ Liddell is, if you are a uh, LGBTQ athlete, like I think all of those things, you're opened up even more. I think there is some ways around it, though, to, to an extent. You know, obviously, Twitter is a little bit more helpful with that. You can turn your comments off. You can turn your DMs off so they can't c- contact you. So you can still partake. I'm just looking through Justin Fields right now. Obviously, his comments aren't off. But if you look at his Twitter page, it's just every so often it's a video or a photo. He doesn't actually use social media at all other than for what for what that purpose would be you know that's what it's, instagram just needs to catch up a little bit because those were dms off of instagram because they don't let you d- turn those off you can't turn your comments off and whatnot so some of it will be on these social media outlets to maybe update their soft up whatever the words are i'm not i don't know anything about coding and stuff but they just update some of this stuff to prevent some of this hatred from being spewed as much as they can no you're right i think that's a good point i mean we, we know that but it's a good point to bring up in this situation that the platforms have responsibility to try to do this. And I, and Nathan has a very good point as well, that it's like when you don't pay somebody for the actual thing they're doing, but they, you say, well, but the thing that you're doing is making you famous. And so go get paid for being famous instead, but you have to be in the, in the public view to do that. That is a thing. They're forcing them to do it. So education is great. But like if somebody said, I I just want to play and my play is really valuable to this university, I should be compensated for that. Like that's not an option. So this is one of those circumstances where. And I don't I believe I think Gene Smith and Chris Holtman, I don't think it. I know it. They are genuine people when it comes to this kind of thing. And there are genuine fans. And I know that the athlete response, your peer response is huge in something like that. And that has been great. And there have been professional athletes who have chimed in with EJ Liddell. EJ Liddell deserves all the support he can get here. But the NCAA is set up and it's the system. So I'm not putting it on a person, but it's the system. The NCAA sets it up because they want the school not to be your employer, but they want the school to be your mom and dad. So if something bad happens to you, they say, as your mom and dad, we're here for you. We'll take care of you. We'll help you. We'll give you words of support. But if you say, why, well, that's great. Thank you. But what I really could use for support would be a check for my services that are making the school lots of money. They will fight in court tooth and nail to avoid having to do that. So I know some people don't like that conversation. People say your scholarship's enough. I'm just saying, but that's the fact. So they like being the mom and dad and everybody needs a mom and dad. But guess what? Like your mom and dad, at some point, you know, you have to, you get a job and somebody pays you for your services. And that's not what's happening here. So there's some of this that only goes so far with me, because to your point, Nathan, they're sort of on some level forcing forcing these 20-year-olds and teenagers into the cesspool and then saying like, oh, that's terrible when the cesspool is the cesspool because we all know it's a cesspool. 
And I think it's tricky because you don't, the solution is not going to be that the NCAA, or NCAA schools start paying these athletes. Um, so this kind, I don't know what the, the solution isn't to further regulate this. I think the problem is um, putting too many restrictions on the NIL. That gets you into a whole other thing. Like how much are you restricting how much the people can make off of their social media influencing and things like that? And there's going to be some restrictions, but – so I, that's what I find I'm, I'm trying to report on is just like, how do you find that middle ground between where these where you're going to kind of force these athletes to open themselves potentially up even more to this sort of thing? As right now, it's, you know, EJ Liddell chooses to be on Instagram. There's nothing there's no real tangible benefit to his life necessarily other than communication that he could do some other way, I suppose, of being on Instagram. But in the very future, in the very near future, there is going to be tangible financial benefit for all of these athletes to use as many of these outlets as possible. So are they just sort of, do they just look at it as like, this is just one of the bad sides. There's good sides and there's bad sides. And the bad side can be sometimes really ugly sometimes. And I was just reading, for instance, about an an actress, and this has happened to many famous people who chose to get off of Twitter because it was so hateful and everything, but she's an actress. She's paid for acting. So if she removes herself from social media, maybe there's some extra money, right? I don't know if there is or not that she's not making, but she's being paid for the primary thing. When you're not paid for the primary thing, it's a different deal. So that's where we are with that. I think there's a lot of nuance because it's one of those things. It's like, talk about what happened to DJ Liddell. It's horrendous. But unfortunately, it's not shocking with the way that people interact with each other. So then what can you tangibly do about it and I think that's where Nathan's story has taken us. It's been real, man. We're getting a little real here. We don't, I, we like light. We like people. Sometimes, some, sometimes people call you on the phone and say, you're always negative. You're a negative person. Why are you always attacking everybody? We like to have fun on Buckeye Talk. We like to have a good time. And maybe there are some people who would call you on the phone and be like, why are you always so negative? And it's like, well, do you listen to the snack bracket? That's not negative. That's very light and fun. So I would encourage anybody who thinks you're negative. You're just a jerk. You're trying to stir it up just to say, well, did you you even know about Chips Ahoy versus Cosmic Brownie? Because that was an upset. And we want to talk a little bit about just quickly, because some people like it, some people don't. The baked goods region is done. We're halfway through hot cold. The baked good results Oatmeal cream pie took down Nutter Butters. Twinkies blew out Butterscotch Crimpets. Mini Donuts solidly over Hostess Fruit Pies. Krispy Kreme Donuts beat Hostess Cupcakes. Oreos took down Zebra Cakes. Grandma's Cookies, Nail Biter. We had two 51-49 games. This is by percentage vote of our texters. Grandma's Cookies, 51. Rice Krispie Treats, 49. Swiss Roll, 60. Honey Bun, 40. That hit Steven where it hurts. And Chips Ahoy, 51. Cosmic Brownie, 49. I will say Cosmic Brownie, somebody sent me a thing that was like they found worms in Cosmic Brownies at some point, which uh, I was unaware of. I find Cosmic Brownie to be a party in your car. It's got colorful sprinkles on top of it. It's fudgy. Chips Ahoy, to me, are like the most basic thing you could find in a gas station. They're like a fine chocolate chip cookie. Like they're fine. They're famous. They're fine. But they're not chewy and soft like grandma's cookies. Like they just are what they are. And like everybody, I mean, everybody 
if you can't find something else, it's like, ah, chocolate chip cookies. Nobody hates chocolate chip cookies, but who loves Chips Ahoy compared to all those other offers, all those other possibilities at a gas station? Steven, like, I was shocked. Chips Ahoy is so basic to me. I was shocked by that result. 51-49 over Cosmic Brownie with the little colorful sprinkles. You're shocked because you can get Chips Ahoy anywhere, but also it's a classic. So, you, you know, sometimes classics just win when you're not really sure what the other option is. I am hurt by Honey Bun, though. Uh, I think these texters love to see me hurt, by the way. They vote on some of the stuff sometimes. It felt personal that, that, that yeah. they, they went after you there, Stephen. Yeah, 100%. It was like the Garrett thing. It's like, dude, you, you know I'm going to cry if you don't vote for this thing. Yeah. Nathan, also Rice Krispie Treats, Grandma's Cookies, very tight. I, I, we also had a great point brought up by someone that I put Rice Krispie Treats in the baked goods section. You don't actually bake a Rice Krispie Treat. So, but yet, I mean, I don't want to do 25 minutes on whether Rice Krispies should still count as a baked good or not. So there's a little bit of a technicality there. But I was glad Grandma Cookies, Grandma's Cookies won. But that was a tough game, I thought. I was surprised by that. I thought that Rice Krispie Treats are just going to be so universal um, as opposed to grandma's cookies. Cause I even had, we had a texter ask us is grandma's cookies a brand or are you actually asking me about my grandma's cookies? And I said, no, it's a brand unless your grandmother happens to own a gas station, I suppose. Right. That would seem to apply to very few of our tech subscribers though. I was surprised. I thought, I thought rice crispy treats would get through. Um, I, and I wasn't surprised, though, about Chips Ahoy. Well, so Chips Ahoy won, right? Chips Ahoy beat the... the yes, yeah. Chips Ahoy beat Cosmic Brownie, 51-49. I, I, I don't get... Like, I love chocolate chip cookies, but I need so, I need the, like, soft-baked chocolate chip cookies. Um, I can't do... Like, I don't get the idea of, like, the crunchy chocolate chip cookie. And then, especially because then that... I think it almost forces you into having to pick milk as your beverage from that gas station. And who's who's picking milk to take a drive across uh, Ohio in that doesn't make any sense. I can't imagine that some, that many people walk into a gas station and think, Oh, chips, Ahoy. That's what I want. It's like you walk the aisle and it's like, oh, I guess I could get chips. Ahoy. If I can't, nothing else catches my eye, but then like 95% of the time, something else would catch your eye. I just, I would, I, I'm very surprised by that. Very surprised by that. And again, uh, I have my seating. And my seating is getting blown up just like the real bracket is. I have not revealed my seating because I don't want to influence it, but we will reveal that later. So we're in the midst of that. And I always assume that like people love to vote on snacks and love to vote on chain restaurants. And there are some people, believe it or not, who subscribe to our tech service for football information. Crazy. <laughs> Honestly, for real, you hear, you hear us. That's I mean, I'm, I'm kidding. So we respect that. So we have this new ability on the text that we can split it up a little bit. We did it with basketball because some people wanted basketball. Some people didn't. So we were able to split that up. And starting on the Monday, I just sent it out before the pod started. We're going to split up the nonsense. So you have to opt in to nonsense. Buckeye talk. That actually is pretty strong. Opt in to nonsense. But if that has ever kept you from the text of like, listen, I like Ohio State football a lot. I would pay four bucks a month for that, but I do not want gas station snacks in my phone. Now that's a possibility, too. So if you want it all, it's all there for you. If you want to opt that, you know, if you don't want the nonsense, fine. You only take football or you can get football and basketball. We're breaking it up a little bit. It's all one price. Right. But it's just like we'll remove something you don't want. So if that's held you back, 614-350-3315. 
but we get a pretty good response to the snacks. Sometimes we people respond more to the snacks than they do to the football. So that's what we're dealing with. We'll, we'll do a little more basketball at some point, I guess. See how the Big Ten works. We'll talk about the bracket on Wednesday. Who's leading the Buckeye Talk bracket? But we're going to have a lot of good information this week, Nathan and Stephen. We're getting into like Ryan Day talking on Mondays and then these assistant coaches and players talking during the week. And we're going to have a lot of good football to dig into. I'm thinking we might do rapid fire for the big Wednesday podcast. I I think it might be time to take some questions. That way we can do a little crossover, mostly football. If there's a couple basketball wrap up questions, if there's a couple nonsense questions in there, we can work that in. That might be where we head, but we're also going to have interviews on Tuesday that can influence it. So we'll see where we go, but there's a lot happening. There's a lot happening. It's a good time to be listening to Buckeye Talk and a good time to try the texts. 614-350-3315. Stephen, you good? Anything else? No, I, th- I think we're good. I'm getting back into the recruiting uh, the vibe here. So obviously I'll have my stuff every Tuesday and Thursday. Our, our team has been doing a heck of a job in my absence over the last couple of weeks while I was covering a big 10 tournament, NCAA tournament. They've had their stuff every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We're still doing our, our battles. Today's was uh, today's Monday. So today, Emil Wagner, uh, the most recent Ohio state offer. Hopefully I can talk to him later this week for an interesting story. Cause that guy's kind of got a Nicholas Petit prayer vibe going on as a guy who is, Clearly not ready to play on the offensive line. He's like 6'5", 250 pounds, and he's going to have to eat. He's going to have to eat and eat and eat if, wherever he ends up going, so that'll be interesting. But, yeah, keep keep checking. I'll get back to texting about all these conversations I'm having with recruits, and we're going to start having some guys on the pod coming real soon. Yeah, so back to uh, Buckeye Future Fridays on Fridays. We'll, we'll hit one of those this week. Um, and, again, want to shout out, Stephen, make sure I get it right, Kayla Harvey, mm-hmm. Kyle Kelly. Correct. Robbie Fenbers. Yep. Those are our people who help out with the recruiting stuff so that Steven doesn't have to make 400 phone calls a week. He just has to make 200 and then they help make the other 200 and they just keep us in touch with these guys. And so it helps our Cleveland.com recruiting coverage. Steven leads that chart and brings it all all together. But Robbie, Kyle and Kayla do a really good job. And we want to make sure we, uh, we express our appreciation for that. Nathan, what do you have? You're working on this uh, story. You're talking to people about that that the kind of front burner for you at the moment? Yeah, that's going to be a lot of the rest of my afternoon. And um, I wanted to mention something on the last pod. You, you brought up the story of your roommate who had been in the Marines. And I made some comment about, because he liked to keep his shower like pristine. And I was like, what branch of the military was this guy in that he expects his shower to be? And I was thinking of it only in terms of like, you're out in a foxhole or you're uh, landing on Omaha Beach or whatever, and you're not worried about how uh, whether you're even going to get a shower, let alone uh, how nice it's going to be. And we had multiple text subscribers, some of whom served, so thank you for your service, who texted back to us and said, you clearly never served, which was a good call on their part. You clearly never served your country because you would know that a military barracks, like a big part of like basic training, and in, even beyond that is you keep that place pristine. Like you can eat off the floor of a, an army latrine or whatever. So they're right. I shouldn't have overlooked that. And um, I appreciate their service. You guys had a lot of fun on that Friday pod. It is sometimes stuff we talk about. It's like we just had a, an apology about a misinterpretation of military shower protocol on our, our football podcast, which is kind of what we do. So that's good. We say crazy stuff and sometimes it's not exactly right. And we appreciate you guys hanging with us anyway. Um, we'll be back with the big podcast on Wednesday. Keep reading cleveland.com slash OSU. Thanks for being part of it for Nathan Baird for Stephen means I'm Doug Maurice.
And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>